Welcome to Ariel Talk Time, hosted by business intuitive, entrepreneur, and founder of Ariel, Victoria Lynn Weston. Listen to her thought-provoking interviews with inspiring leaders, creators, and intuitive thinkers who share their stories and lifestyle tips to enhance your way of living. And we're inviting you to join our conversation. If you like this interview, please post a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Hello, everyone. It's Victoria. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Ariel Talk Time. You're going to love my guest, Jeff Queen, is going to be here. He's an Amazon best-selling author. He has a story that is truly riveting, inspiring, and motivational. And I promise you, you'll walk away a little more grateful than you were when you woke up this morning. Before I introduce him, I want to talk to you a little bit about the future, the future of voice. Anyone that knows me knows I love utilizing innovative platforms such as Amazon Echo Devices, Alexa. About a year ago, I launched Studio Carlton, and we have a group of filmmakers, producers, screenwriters, and developers, and we produce custom Alexa skills. So if you're ready to tap into that market a voice, because there's 20 million homes that have Amazon Echo Devices, and by 2020, RBC reports there'll be 120 million homes with Amazon Echoes. We work with business owners, authors, professionals, anyone that has content that they want to engage their audience, market their products and services. We can show you how to do it, and we'll do all the work for you. So don't worry if you don't think you have the content, because I'm sure we can help you create the content you need for that. So check out StudioCarlton.com to have your own custom Alexa skill. I want to introduce you to my guest, Jeff Kuhn. He is an inspiring author. He has an incredible story to share. Jeff survived the unthinkable. Imagine, burns over 80% of your body, a rare neuromuscular disease, hundreds of surgeries, six years of medical attention. Despite all that, Jeff found the courage to keep on moving with a positive attitude and the right mental fortitude. In his book, Blue Sky Lightning, he shares both his unbelievable journey through trauma and what those experiences taught him. You're not alone, he will tell you. Your mental fortitude is stronger than you think. Small victories, isn't that always the case, make huge differences. Unconditional love lies in unexpected places. And as long as the odds are not zero, Jeff will tell you, you can win. Let's go connect with Jeff and talk about his book, Blue Sky Lightning, which is a beacon of hope for the hopeless. Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you here. You have such an interesting story, and I'm really looking forward to sort of diving in and peeling back all the experiences that you have and sort of getting a sense of how you how you healed and how you stayed motivated and what your story, how your story can inspire the rest of us. Sure. Thank you. Of, well, I, yeah. Pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, when you were 31, you right. woke up out of a medically induced coma for over a month. Correct. And you discovered that 80% of your body was uh, covered in severe burns. And it was so bad that the priest had actually given you your last rites. When you, when you woke up out of that experience in that, especially at 31, I said, what was the first thing that, that went through your mind? Well, it's interesting because uh, after the 30 days, uh, they started pulling a lot of the medication. So I would, you know, technically essentially come to. Um, and I remember I... I looked around and I was in, I didn't know where I was, to be honest, but I looked around, I could tell I was in some sort of hospital facility and I was in a hospital bed and I was covered in bandages, but I was still, I was still, you know, because you can imagine what the pain level would be. 
Uh, so I was still heavily medicated, but I was conscious and, and now I was out of the medically induced coma. So honestly, I had to ask them. And the nurse came in and she said, you were, you were badly burned. You were in a fire, uh, but you're okay. And of course she was being very kind because uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was far from okay. But she said, you're fine. You're in uh, a burn unit at Parkland Hospital, which is in Dallas, Texas. And uh, we're going to take good care of you. You're going to be fine. And to be honest, uh, as I point out in the book, I think they were very careful not to overload me with too much information too fast. Sure. So she did say I suffered a burn injury and she just said, you're going to be fine. And like I I honestly was still in sort of a, a daze and looking around and, you know, I'm in bandages. So she did not say, you know, 80% or anything. I didn't know anything about burns, to be honest. I didn't know. I had heard about third degree burns and this and that, but I'd never met anyone that had had them. And so I knew nothing about burn injuries. And so she really didn't go into it. I think she was waiting to let the doctors um, tell me more. And they, I, they basically slowly told me what had happened and how bad it was. And cause I, I honestly think that was their strategy, um, which I can appreciate. I think they just don't want to overload you because if they just laid out reality right out of the shoot, um, they're, they don't know how you're going to react. So they want to keep you calm. Uh, because it's a long road ahead of you, and so they want to, you know, let's just keep him calm. We'll give him the information because he needs to know it, but we don't need to give it to him all at once. So honestly, when she said there was a fire, mm -hmm. um, and the they had been, I had been taken from my home by the Dallas Fire Department, and their their fire paramedics had taken me to uh, Parkland. So when I you know, because I don't remember any of it. So I, it was it was all a blank. So I'm like, so what happened at my house? My first question, honestly, was how's my dog? Mm -hmm. um, I didn't I didn't ask about me. I didn't you know, I didn't say how long am I going to be in here? You know, all the things you think you would ask. All I could remember is that there were only two. It was Sparky, my dog and myself at the house at the time of the fire. So my brain immediately went to how's my dog? How's my yellow lab? And she, since I'd been there a month, she'd met my family, mom and dad, et cetera. And so she knew I had a dog. Um, she said, your dog was not harmed in any way. Your dog is perfect, uh, waiting for you when you go home. Um, so I immediately thought of the dog. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But well, yeah, it was strange. You wake up and you're in this, and they were really kind. And I didn't realize I was in uh, the most, you know, acute area of the burn unit and Parkland Hospital, just to let your listeners know, um, I was fortunate in Dallas at Parkland. It's the second largest um, civilian burn unit in the United States. And they're also probably, you know, one of the best three in the world uh, at handling traumatic burns. So my doctors even told me later, they said, if this had happened to you, you know, if you'd been out in the middle of Montana and this had happened in some cabin a long way from, you know, a city, um, you never would have made it. Actually, you made it. We didn't think you were going to make it because, of course, I had last rights the day I arrived at the hospital. But I 
pulled out of it. And they said, honestly, if you hadn't been this close to a place like Parkland, uh, you wouldn't have survived. There's a whole lot of reasons I survived, but being near the, one of the best burn units in the world, um, it was a big help. And they were great people. And after you had this, you know, recovery, which was very long and, and yes. quite painful, I understand, you developed yes. a neuromuscular disease that doctors couldn't diagnose properly. And they said that you were going to die and it was going to be slow and painful. Yes. And I can't yes. imagine sitting there, you know, after going through all these burns and, and all that sort of thing and then having this other, um, you know, disease that comes out of it and the doctor tells you that. So, again, you have the choice to succumb to those words or it's, it's like you like to describe, which, again, will be the backdrop to your book, which I'll get in the title in a second, as a, as a lightning bolt. I would imagine that you could either go that way or you can stand up and be tough. Yeah, it's uh, the burn recovery took two years and it was 18 major surgeries, lots yeah. of rehabilitation. So we'll go ahead. And, and after no. two, two yeah. years, I was fine. You know, and I after honestly, after the burn, the whole recovery was done after two years. I was in great shape because I had been doing a lot of I had to do a lot of physical activity to get the use of my arms back and get my muscles back and my health back. So when I went back. Um, into quote unquote normal life, uh, I was in great shape and I was, I was in great shape for a year and a half. Everything was fine. I thought I was, you know, I had, yeah, I thought I had a one in a million, uh, you know, bad luck experience, but I made it and I was uh, happy about it. Then I come down with the neuromuscular illness again, out of the blue and, when the doctors, you know, I went, they bounced me between neurologists and they said it was no relation to the burn. Somehow this had come on. They don't know how, but they couldn't diagnose it. They just said it's probably fatal. And, you know, it unfortunately, it's not going to be quick. It's going to be. And honestly, I have sort of a crazy sense of humor, but I honestly was thinking after everything I've been through, to hear it again. Now, I wasn't there the first time when the doctors, the burn doctors told my parents I was going to die. Uh, but this time I was there for it. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is now the second time in a four year period um, that I'm being told that I am going to die. And I was like, honestly, that the on the inside, I, I, I was just saying, you've got to be kidding. I mean, it's just it's beyond belief. Um, but. So, you know, that went on for a year, bouncing between neurologists and no one. I was in extreme pain. Here's the thing that I remember my burn doctors told me that there was nothing more painful than a third degree burn, especially when you have lots of it like me. Right. 80 percent uh, of your body. Yeah. And then but then this neuromuscular disease or disorder hit me and the pain was just as bad as the third degree burns. I couldn't believe it. It was happening all over again. And so I was hoping they could diagnose it so I could get some sort of relief. I mean, even if I was going to die, I don't want to be, you know, in agonizing pain every day until that day happens. So they were trying like crazy to diagnose it. They thought it was Lou Gehrig's, but it wasn't quite Lou Gehrig's. They thought it was Guillain-Barre. They thought it was MS, multiple sclerosis. Um, they literally tried everything, but it never checked every box for all the diseases they knew. Mm -hmm. So it had them totally perplexed. So on the bad side, they had no idea what to prescribe me or how to treat me. 
So for a whole year, I'm going through this pain and they don't know what to do about it. But then here's when I flip the switch in my brain. Uh, and this is after they told me that this isn't going to end well, you know, and yeah, I can imagine. Uh, so. But then I thought to myself, wait a minute, you know, these doctors now we've gone through this for about a year now. They can't put a name on what I have. So, you know, most neuromuscular, actually almost all neuromuscular diseases are fatal or you end up crippled, mm -hmm. um, neither which is, you know, uh, a pleasant outcome. Uh, but I, I was I flipped the thinking and I thought, well, wait a minute, if they can't come up with a name, they don't know what it is. Yes, it's something bad, but how do they maybe they don't know if they if they can't name the disease, then maybe I will recover. And so I totally switched my thinking to actually now I'm glad they don't have a name on it for a while, for probably a long time. I wanted them to, to tell me exactly what I had and what we needed to do about it. But then not knowing the uncertainty was actually a positive because if they don't know, then they also can't be sure I'm going to die. So I kind of thought, well, wait a minute, there's a positive on this. And after a year, one doctor finally decided to do a nerve muscle biopsy uh, where they go in to take a look at your nerves and muscles. And it had turned out the reason for all the pain was that my nerve endings and muscle tissues were self-destructing mm -hmm. simultaneously. So it's essentially an autoimmune disorder where you're essentially somehow your body is turned on itself and it's destroying the nerves and the muscles. So he saw all that damage, but then he came in and he said, Jeff, you know what I see? I see little new muscle tissue, new nerve endings that are making a comeback. And he said, I still don't know what you have. I don't know what caused all the devastation, but it appears to me from my research at looking at this, that your body is making a comeback. It's regenerating the muscle and the nerves. He said, I honestly think you're going to make it. He said, it's not going to be tomorrow. Um, it actually turned out to be another year, but he was right. I actually, over the course of the next year, uh, I got better and better and better. And finally, after two years, once again, the whole thing took two years. I was, and I had to go through the whole building my body back because, you know, I went down to 140 from 185 pounds again. So I had to go through the whole, you know, bodybuilding and everything all over again. And I just used a strategy for rehabilitation I used with the burn and uh, in terms of rebuilding my body. So after two years, I was fine, literally fine. And they said there'd probably be lasting um, residual from the neuromuscular illness like muscle twitching and this and that but that all went away and then I moved on and I went on to sell homes in Phoenix Arizona uh, after this whole you know two near-death experiences and ever since then uh, you know I haven't been perfectly healthy but nothing to that degree uh, but basically life's been fine since then that's so, incredible when you think about yeah. it because everything that you had gone through and, and basically like you, you described it, near death, because you literally were near death, not just once, but twice due yes. to physical, 
due to the burns, due to the neuromuscular disease that you had and that nobody could diagnose and all that. So this becomes the backdrop to an incredible story. And it's an Amazon best-selling story, book rather, and it's called Blue Sky Lightning, How to Survive and Thrive When Life Blindsides You. Because that's what happened in both cases, especially the second one. I don't know how... Anyway, it'd be tough enough for anyone to survive the burns and, you know, make a recovery, go through the, the physical discipline to make your body strong again and then mentally and then have to deal with the other one on the uh, autoimmune disorder. And so you write this story and and I don't I feel like you probably obviously felt empowered, not like Superman, of course, but you you took a step, you took a stand and, and you t- made a choice. And through that determination and dedication, obviously, you wrote this incredible book. And you're now also a uh, motivational speaker. You call yourself a uh, tough love. Is that what it is, tough love? Well, it's mental mental, toughness toughness techniques. Yeah, it's uh, because, you know, when you're all of us face adversity. And I honestly, I hope no one has to go through anything like I did. But we all, you know, just being humans, we all face adversity uh, at some time in our lives of one sort or another. It doesn't have to be medical. It could be a financial situation. You could be trying to start a business. It could be a relationship. It could be any number of things. And I learned a lot of, um, now this is back, this happened like 25, 30 years ago. So there was no internet. So there was no way for me to Google how do I recover from a traumatic injury. Um, I couldn't Google anything. I mean, yeah. I couldn't learn what you can do now is amazing. But back then, I basically had to dream up ways to keep myself motivated and come up with strategies, uh, especially during the burn recovery to, you know, because once they, you know, you get out of the hospital and you're an outpatient, you're still coming back there. The first year I came back every day for physical therapy, but I was also doing most of it I had to do on my own, which I did in uh, public parks at chinning bars. And uh, but you have to come up with uh, strategies to, because, you know, I think all battles are won and lost in your brain. And, you know, unless you're on board with it mentally, um, you're, you're going to be defeated. So you have to take on a almost a warrior mentality that absolutely nothing I did. I took this attitude that nothing stops the recovery. And no matter since I was working out outside, uh, you know, sometimes Dallas, you know, it can be really hot. It can be really cold. It can be raining. And I was just there are no excuses. If it's pouring rain, if it's freezing cold, if it's 100 degrees, you're still going out there every day and doing uh, the workouts you need to do to stretch the skin grafts, to stre- stretch the scars. And so I adopted the pain equals progress because there, it's extremely painful to recover from a burn injury uh, if you want to get your full range of motion back because you have to stretch out skin grafts, which naturally want to contract. And there's also a lot of scar tissue from all the operations that Scar tissue also wants to contract. So every morning you wake up, uh, the the uh, skin grafts and the scars, they're all contracting. Mm-hmm. The second degree burns, uh, they're contracting. So every day the, you're fighting against, it's basically swimming against the current because you have to stretch out all that skin and scar tissue and skin grafts to get your range of motion back. But your body's actually working against you because the skin grafts and all the scars 
are contracting 24 hours a day. And because it's very close to the burn injury, they're contracting very rapidly. Hmm. So you have to go out and you have to overcome the contraction that happened the prior day and make progress beyond that. So it's you're, it's an incredible battle. You can't take a day off because if you do, then the, the contraction never stops. So you have to be, you have to overwhelm it with unbelievable workouts that went on for two consecutive years. Yeah. Um, and that's how long the battle took. But I took, you know, I talk about it in the game of playing the long game, meaning I knew that I, I was positive that, that I was going to win. Uh, I was going to regain the full use of my arms. I was going to be perfectly healthy, regain all my muscles that I had lost. Um, and, but I knew it was going to be a long time and I had no idea how long it could be a year. It could be two years. It could be five. I, you know, the doctors couldn't tell me, uh, because at that time, uh, they said no one that they had ever treated who had been burned as badly as me had ever lived. So they didn't even know, they had no idea what to tell me about how I should run the recovery. They said, you're just going to have to design it yourself, which I did. And I knew it would be long. So mentally, I just took that long game philosophy that victory will be achieved in the long run. And I'll just have to accept, you know, some days are good. Some days are bad. But more days, as long as more days, you have more good days than bad, you'll you continue to make progress. And eventually, if you just stay in that uh, mindset, you will win. Right. Um, so one of the things that you point out, like um, that through the discussion rather that I picked up, is like it takes to not just to be positive and say, hey, we're going to have a good day today and all that. But to be, as you said, that warrior, which is what you did. I mean, despite how you could have opted to just lay in bed, you know, a week at a time. And then, you know, it takes a lot of discipline to work out anyway, much less with having, you know, contracting, you know, skin tissue on your body that wants to shrink up and that type of thing. And then it's like you took control of your life and you were determined to to turn it around, to make the most of life and you're not going to give in and you worked, you know, very hard and very dedicated to all that. So with that, how do you, you know, you get everybody else involved and a lot of people have the same kind of out of the blue life experiences, obviously not many as bad as yours, but some that deal with other, you know, illnesses like, you know, cancer or other different things that come in. And, And so how do you, I guess at the end, I mean, how did you stay motivated? I guess you can be the warrior, you can stay positive, you can take control but I know you have a strong faith in God. Was it God? Was it your spiritual side that really was the one that was pushing you that you believed in? Yeah, that was part of it. I think there were uh, there were a lot of components um, to my recovery. Faith was definitely part of it. Um, but I knew I even I talk about this in the book that. Um, you know, because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's a miracle that you were saved. And, uh, you know, the thing is, I when you're writing the book, though, I wanted to be very careful because, as I point out in the book, I saw people in the burn unit and I talk about a young boy that was in there uh, who came in about the same time I did. And uh, he passed away. And I said, you know, it's really hard for me to say that I got a miracle because I feel that I met a lot of people that I felt were more deserving. Uh, Eric was only probably six years old 
and uh, no child should ever have this happen to them. And he deserved to live. And I honestly, as I say in the book, I would have traded places with him. Um, so, you know, why didn't Eric get a miracle? You know, so I can't if I go out on this, uh, if I say that I got a miracle, then everybody's going to be like, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I, I'm not special. I wasn't selected by the I don't want people thinking that I believe I was someone special that, you know, some deity uh, decided to save. Mm-hmm. Because I'm something special. Because I, like I said in the book, I met people like Eric, a young boy, wonderful young boy, and we actually became friends because uh, he was in the room next to mine. Um, and you know, the day they told me he passed away, I, that was like one of the f- two times I cried, uh, just because I thought it was so unfair. Uh, but anyway, faith was part of it. Uh, but my, I guess my favorite part, and I'll make it brief, but it was my favorite part of the the part of the book that people really like is I'd been in the hospital. The first stay was two months long. And as you pointed out, the first month I was in a medically induced coma. They actually did two major operations while I was in that coma. And then they did another three in the second month uh, before they discharged me uh, to become an outpatient. But just before I left, in come my two burn doctors. And because my uh, case was so severe, um, usually only one of the two head doctors would be assigned to you, but since mine was so bad, I got them both. So I had Dr. Purdue and Dr. Hunt, and they both came in and they appeared to have, you know, they, they wanted to, I, they, I could tell they were going to give me some bad news. Uh-huh. And I thought, okay, I've had five surgeries. I'm going to go out. I'll go through some physical rehabilitation. I'll be good as new. So they dropped this bomb on me. And they said, now at this point, I'm out of the woods. I know I'm going to live. Um, but they, and so I thought I was going to be fine. And in my mind, everything was just, it was just a matter of time. So they dropped this bomb and they said, Jeff, now both of your arms and your sides were, you know, a lot of third degree burns. And at that point, I could only lift, either one of the arms could only, I could only lift them maybe three inches away from my side. That's as far as they would go. Oh my! Uh, maybe three, four at the max, and I just thought that that would, you know, I, I I could realize that laying in bed, but I just thought that you know that'll all you know take care of itself. And they said, well, no, they said um, the odds of you, no, they said, you know, you're probably never going to be able to use your arms fully ever again. And I'm I'm thinking, wait a minute, okay, we just. You know, I made it through this uh, near-death experience, and I thought I, the coast was clear. And so now they're dropping this. I said, what? And they said, well, they said both of the arms and your sides, are, both of them would require a major surgery just to give you the opportunity to attempt to stretch them out and regain the full use. And even if we do those two major surgeries, you're probably still never going to be able to use your arms much more than you are today. Hmm. And so they, what I didn't know is they were actually, they actually did this on purpose and they told me this story. It was basically a setup to see how I would react. And so they told, they told me this after the fact. So they dropped all this on me and they're staring right at me. And I honestly, I couldn't really lean forward too far because I was still pretty beat up. But I swear, I, I got so angry, I looked up at him, 
And I said, that's unacceptable. I said, I'm not going through my life without my arms are going to be perfect. And I, so I looked at him and I said, you keep saying the odds are bad. It, the, you know, it, uh, I have almost very little chance of regaining. I said, put a number on it. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, between zero and 100 percent, put a number on what are the odds if you do the two major surgeries uh, what what are the odds that I get 100% full range of motion back? And they looked at each other because they weren't ready for this question. And they were like, Jeff, it's not high. And I said, give me a number. And I, I, I forced them. And, and I'm leaning forward and I'm looking at them. With, and so they said 7 to 10% max. And then I, I leaned back in bed and I smiled and I kind of laughed a little bit. And they couldn't believe my reaction because they thought, you know, that's pretty bad news, right? Uh -huh. and, I, and I said, you know what? I said, you just told me that I'm going to be fine because I was just waiting. I said, anything over zero, even if you had told me 1%, uh, to me, I'm hearing 100%. And I said, 7 to 10, I'm going to be one of those 7 to 10 because I'm going to work like crazy. And I said, you two, you know, because they were waiting to see my reaction because they weren't going to do these two major surgeries if I wasn't going to put in the effort because it's too expensive. They have too many patients and it's a lot of work. And if I'm not going to work with them, uh, I said, you do, you, you do the two surgeries. And I promise you, I said, it'll probably be a year. I know you told me a long time. I said, however long it takes, I will come back here and we'll find a basketball hoop somewhere on the property, and I will I will dunk a basketball and prove to you that the work you did was worth it. And they both started laughing, uh -huh. and they said, that's exactly what we want to hear. That's exactly what we want to hear. They, say, they said most people, when we give them news like that, you know, they curl up in bed, and, and then, you know, then we have to start consoling them. And you got angry, yeah. and you got in our face, and you just said it's unacceptable. And they're like, I believe you. I, I know you're going to go out and go nuts. And they still are like, you know, you're, you're up against some pretty tough odds. And I said, I don't care. You know, and and people love this in the book. And I said and I've told people if you're in a dire circumstance, even if the odds are one percent mentally, you're just make it 100 because as long as it's not zero then you can, you can make it. And I'm proof of that. Um, and I just went nuts on this recovery and I did get full use of my arms back. And they were after two years, they were just as good as they were probably better. Uh, cause I was a whole lot stronger than I ever was. Um, but even if no matter what adversity you face or what situation you're in, if there's a chance, you know, and that's we I joked about this the other day. You know, so you're saying there's a chance. But actually, as crazy as that sounds, there's a lot of truth to it. Even if it's one percent, hang on to it and fight. And that's what I did. And just realize it may not happen overnight. Um, but in the end, I won. And I, it's, I had a small chance. But if you even if. You, know, you have a very small chance. Hang in there. And the whole reason I wrote the book is because I don't want people facing adversity to quit. I want them to stay in the game and realize that even if the odds are terrible, you can still 
fight your way out and get to a much better place. So with that said, then, those that do choose to fight, how do you help them find their inner fire? I mean, how do you help them to keep going? Yeah, now that's that's always the question. And in the book, um, one of my, I guess my hypothesis is that, and I go out of my way because it, like we talked about with the, the miracle and, and I also wanted to point out in the book that I am not, I didn't write the book. It's not a Jeff Kuhn autobiography. So everyone can marvel at, you know, how incredible I am. And the whole, no, I even told my publisher, I said, if that's the point of the book, we shouldn't even write it. The whole point of the book is to help other people with their adversity. And my theory um, is that now I had never faced adversity of this magnitude ever in my life up until the burn injury. And but I believe I firmly believe this, that we all have this switch inside us. And you may not believe it. I actually talk about it in the book. I said, you may not believe it. And I'm sure I wouldn't have believed it if somebody had laid out, here's what's coming. And do you think you're going to make it out? I would have been like, no. I mean, that sounds way too difficult, you know. But look at my story. I said, I believe we all, I know we do. Not believe. I know we all have this switch. You have it. I have it. Everyone's got it. You may not believe it. But it's inside you. And when your back is put up against the wall, and mine was really against the wall, but you, we all have it wired in us. And hopefully you won't need it to the extent I did. But when adversity comes, you will be amazed at how much strength you can summon up from inside you because that switch is there. We all have it. And all you got to do is flip it and I go out of my way to let everybody know you are just as strong as I am. I'm not I'm not exceptional. I'm not special. I wasn't chosen by the cosmos. I said, you are just as strong as I am. We're all just as strong and you don't know it until you need it. And um, I, I just want people to know that, you know, they might go, oh, I, you know, I, you know, I'm not like Jeff. I wasn't, you know, I, I don't have that toughness. Yes, you do. Because I had had nothing go wrong in my life um, of any sort of traumatic. I had no traumatic incidents. My life, uh, yes, I worked hard, but, there, you know, I faced, uh, you know, nothing like this. Um, and I found that switch. I had to. I mean, mine was first, you're either going to die or you're not. And and then do you want to be crippled or do you not? So I, mine was pretty severe. And uh, but. As I say to everybody, whatever adversity you're facing, if it's a big deal to you, then it's a big deal. Don't compare it to what I went through. If it, if you're going through adversity, it's a big deal. And I care about uh, you making it through that. And you have the power and the strength within you. All you got to do is summon it forward. I'm not unique. We're all strong. And that's the message. Um, it's not that whoa, Jeff just had a Navy SEAL built into him. Boy, was he lucky. No, you're, we're all like that. And yeah, it's you the will can... to live. It's the will to live and, yeah, and it, finding it's that amazing. passion. And, and there it is. Certainly yeah, determination, like to do what you did basically for four to six years 
you know, to come through that. So after you got yourself all healed back again and you wrote this book and then you you started to do public speaking, motivational speaking and, and all of that. Did you, did you go to therapy or anything to kind of help, you know, sort of boost you up to say, hey, I want to I want to um, inspire other people. It doesn't have to be a traumatic experience. It could just be I'm at a crossroads in my life. Where do I go? I'm feeling sorry for myself or whatever. And you want to yeah. you know, have them snap to it and say, you've got to find your vision. You got to find your goal and you got to stick to it. Yeah, well, that's interesting, you know, because uh, um, this happened, like I said, it did. this whole episode, this five and a half year episode happened uh, 25, 30 years ago, uh, but it's still, as you can imagine, fresh in my memory. And right at the end of this, you know, incredible journey, um, no one really understood everything I went through because most of it happened, almost all of it happened behind the scenes, you know, the operations, my uh, but anyway, so 25 years go by, um, I remarried because um, my first wife took off in the middle of the burn recovery. Uh, but so I, you know, I got remarried. I have a son. He's now a senior in high school. He's headed off to college next year. And, uh, I, you know, I was trying to think, what do I want to do with the next chapter of my life? And all of a sudden, it took me about a year. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, now I think I'm ready to tell this story. And I said, I think it now I see it could help people. So what I did is I wrote an article. It was about six pages long, maybe five. And it summarized the five and a half years. And I posted it on LinkedIn about 15 months ago as sort of a trial balloon just to see, is there any interest in this story? Um, am I out of my mind? You know, um, you know, I just want to see if there's any reaction. Does it get any? Well, uh, over a thousand people read the article and I got tons of feedback. That's great. And, and so I'm like, OK, uh, I think there is, you know, there's people out there that can benefit from what I went through and they can incorporate either some or all of the lessons that I learned to help them fight their battles and so, you know, to make a long story short, well, then, you know, how do you write a book? You know, how do you find a publisher? Well, anyway, uh, 12 months later, out comes Blue Sky Lightning. And uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback. And it's the kind I want. It's no people aren't writing me to tell me because I wrote it specifically. So I don't want anybody thinking I'm some sort of a superhero because I'm not. But I'm getting the kind of feedback that I wanted a woman, for example, she wrote me, uh, I guess one of my friends from high school read the book, really enjoyed it. And then her friend, uh, her husband was in a terrible car accident, almost died. And he's got a long road of recovery ahead of him. And his wife wrote me and she said, your friend gave me the book. I read it. And then I gave it to my husband who hates books. And he's in the hospital, but he read your book in one day. And he she said he was sinking his mental state. I mean, the road to recovery was long and he just didn't know if he could do it. And he read your book and he said it, she said almost overnight his attitude changed and now he wants to fight. And she wrote me uh, just to say, you know, the book had a big impact on her husband because she was really worried about his mental state. Because like we talked about earlier, you're you're mentally have to be in the game in order to win. And just a story like that, that that's going to help him 
as he battles back from that car accident. Uh, that's what I want to hear. And I hope it helps lots of people. That's why I wrote it. I didn't, it wasn't written so Jeff Kuhn could be rich and famous. I wrote it so other people who are suffering from whatever adversity, whatever trial and tribulation you're facing, maybe my story or parts of it can be useful to you to help you um, carry on and fight on. But I want to yes. close on one thing okay. to tell you know our listeners about it. It's like you say, you know, to also be optimistic about who you are, where you're going, and overcoming you know your challenges, whether they're physical, emotional, and so on. Because you you know sat there when the doctors had laid out the most terrible, terrible scenario, and you clawed your way out. And all you were looking for was a small chance of success. And what you ultimately got was a big chance of success. Not in creating this wonderful book that is an Amazon bestseller, because lots of people like it. You have tremendous reviews on it. But you also got a family. And I think at the end of the day, we all want our own community, our own family. And you got a wonderful uh, partner, your wife, your soulmate, yes. and a son. And let me close with one other last question on that. During the course of all of this, um, the, you know, the, the, the trauma that you went through with the burns and, and the autoimmune, you know, issues in that and almost six years of, of recovery time. Did you ever hear from God? I mean, what was God's vi voice like to you or was it your intuition? And how what did you what did you pick up? Did you pick up? I, I know I'm going to make this. And I'm going to go work every day and I know I'm going to I'm going to be OK. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Actually, uh, only two people asked me this question, and I'm surprised more people haven't asked me, but uh, especially during the burn injury where they did the last rites and the doctor said I probably had about 12 hours to live, maybe 72. And so uh, some people asked me, you know, people have had like crossover experiences where they kind of go to the other side, they see a bright light and they sort of spend a little bit of time in heaven and then they come back. And uh, I said, unfortunately, I did not have that experience. And in the book, I actually talk about what you just asked. And I said that the way I looked at it is that God was not going to come down into my hospital room and wave a wand over me. And I'm going to be perfectly healthy and walk out of the, the room uh, 100% healed. I said, I was absolutely positive that the way God was helping me was he was making sure that the right people were entering my life at the right time to get me through this ordeal, starting with the uh, first responders who came to get me, because if they hadn't come so quickly and because they were literally working with seconds here. And so they did their job beautifully. Then the emergency room doctors who quickly got the two burn doctors, as they told me, they both got yanked off the golf course because it was a Saturday. And so they had a good sense of humor, too. So they told me I ruined their Saturday and, you know, they owe me for I owe them for the greens fees. But anyway, yeah. um, I, uh, I believe, I, as I said in the book, I believe that the way God helped me was to bring because I ended up. They, I was fortunate enough to have two of the best burn doctors in the world working on me. They did the first eight surgeries. Then I was turned over to a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. His name is Dr. Rod Rorick. 
Now, at the time, then actually, I didn't want to leave them. They said, well, you know, we're turning you over to a new doctor. And I said, well, I don't want to leave you guys. I said, you're good. And they said, well, Jeff, look, we've done eight surgeries. Um, now you're, you know, you're, you're falling out of our area of expertise. We save burn patients. Now you need a lot of reconstructive surgery work. Um, and they said, doctor works very good. You'll like him. So I was kind of hesitant because, you know, you're very comfortable with the two guys who had operated on you very successfully eight times. Well, anyway, Dr. Rorick uh, did eight surgeries on me, all of which were flawless. And he and I became good friends. To, to make a long story short, uh, he wrote the foreword to my book, as a oh, matter wow, of fact. Nice. He's probably one of the five most prominent plastic and reconstructive surgeons in the world. So, um, yeah, I, I was definitely helped. Uh, but I, I hope I can minimize the, the amount of people that, uh, that quit and, and maybe people, more people will stay in the game and uh, tough it out. It's not easy, but actually in the end, you're, you're pretty proud of yourself and you've reached a better place. And like you pointed out, I, I fought so I could have a wife and a child. And honestly, being a dad to me is the best job, the best thing about being alive. I mean, if somebody at the end of my life, they'll say, what was your favorite thing about being alive? I love the outdoors. I love mountains. I love hiking. And, but being a dad uh, was incredible. I, I mean, the, the being a parent is such a gift. It's such a joy. And for me, I mean, I came really close to not getting the opportunity. So I valued every second of it with, with my son and uh, so that's been my favorite part. So it was I, there was even a picture we almost put in the book. And I said, this is what you're fighting for. And it was a picture of me and my son when he was young, sitting on the carpet, playing and laughing. And just the sheer joy of playing with your little boy. It was worth every second of pain just so I could have these years with him, you know, and then, like you said, have a a wife that actually cares about you and, you know, so it was all worth it. And I just, and so that I, I bring that up in the book because I said, that's what I was fighting for. And, and it was all worth it because being a dad has just been great. Um, that's good. Well, I'm sure glad you recovered from that. And I, I appreciate you. you putting, you know, your story together to sort of raise and inspire other people about how to overcome such traumatic challenges. And I want to encourage everybody to go and check out the Amazon bestseller, Blue Sky Lightning, How to Survive and Thrive When Life Blindsides You. And Jeff Kuhn, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today. And I look forward to talking with you again about some of these other interesting topics that you'd like to you know, chat about sometime. Well, thank you, Victoria. It's, uh, I want to thank you for inviting me uh, to come on and, and speak about my book. Um, you know, I, it's, I'm sure you have a million people you could speak to, and I, I feel honored that you picked me, and I hope that my story can get out and help folks. So thank you for uh, bringing me on. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Okay, thank you. Tune in next time as there's always something new to learn on Ariel Talk Time. If you're a professional lifestyle consultant looking to expand your brand, gain more recognition, or to be featured with an exceptional group of inspiring professionals, join Ariel. Visit ariel.com.